The Athletic. Jordan Henderson's decision to leave Liverpool was one of the most controversial stories of the summer. Jordan Henderson has now completed his move from Liverpool to Al Etifak in Saudi Arabia for a fee of £13 million, bringing to an end a 12-year stay. To many, Liverpool. the England international had put the eye-watering riches on offer from Saudi Arabia ahead of his own morals. His decision meant five Anfield legends are set to play their football in the kingdom this season. But could Mo Salah still be joining them? I'm Ayoa Kimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. £700,000 a week. I don't know who's doing the recruitment and why 650 is not enough. Jordan Henderson, it's not like this trying to prize Messi away. A 33-year-old being offered the kind of money that they're offering, absolutely you go. How much of a blow is it to lose it? It is a big blow. Is this how he really wants his legacy to be remembered? by cashing in and taking the Saudi Arabian money, especially when he's been so vocal about some of the social issues that clearly have marred that part of the world. Looking to jump ship to a regime that has none of those values at its core, it leaves us questioning entirely the authenticity of any of his former commitments. In for today's pod, We've got football correspondents David Ornstein and Adam Crafton. Yesterday, they sat down with Jordan Henderson to speak about the move for the very first time. It's an interview you can read in full on The Athletic today. Also, a little later on in the podcast, we'll be joined by Joe White, co-chair of the LGBT Plus England fan group, who said they turn their back on Henderson when he enters the pitch for England. I'm so interested to understand how, how exactly this interview came about and how keen was Jordan Henderson to explain this whole debacle, this whole situation of moving from Liverpool to the Saudi Pro League? I think that's a really important question because we don't often go into the nuts and bolts of how such an interview comes about. Since Jordan Henderson moved over to Saudi Arabia, or even since the report surfaced that it was a possibility, Everybody within this industry has wanted to speak to him, to hear his version of events. And so everybody of repute within our environment would have been requesting it. And we were, again, no sense of uh, self-importance, but The Athletic has built and is continuing to build a really good reputation for its reporting, its fairness, its balance, its accuracy, the respect that it's garnering within the football world and sports journalism. I presume Jordan has relationships with with quite a few journalists. He's been in his career for a long time. Didn't have like a personal one, but we, we know of each other. And then I was actually travelling back from uh, the Arsenal-Man United game on Sunday when uh, it was confirmed at pretty short notice that this would be going ahead and the desire was for both myself and Adam to do it. That was Jordan's preference. Uh, he will know that Adam is a, a member of the LGBTQ plus community and a brilliant journalist. And I think Jordan wanted to front up in this way, have questions asked of him that haven't been asked so far, provide answers that there's been a bit of a vacuum on. There was nothing off limits. There were no areas that we couldn't go down, that we were told to go down. Um, there was no copy approval. Uh, there was no audio or video on this occasion. Most likely the haste of arranging such a thing. Um, but also those are different mediums that take a little bit more consideration. There was no preference on our part and uh, we proceeded accordingly. 
many people were saying that Jordan Henderson has to talk. And mm. there was a lot of anger, frustration that he hadn't given his version of events so far. He hadn't put his head above the parapet. And there has been a mixed reaction, decidedly. It's been pretty polarizing, but it has really set the agenda and got people talking. And it was a real privilege for us to have the opportunity to do it. Um, but personally, and maybe I'm a bit biased here, I think we asked the tough and correct questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's, whether you like it or not, produced a pretty compelling end product. Adam, it states in, in the article that no topics were off limits and neither Henderson, his representatives, nor Al Etifak were allowed approval of the words or headline before publication. Did that surprise you? No, in the sense that we simply wouldn't have done it otherwise, right? Like, you know, you can't, you can't have a situation where, you know, you're interviewing someone who has essentially gone to work for an employer that's, that's funded by, by the Saudi state and then give, you know, it, w it would be tantamount to essentially giving, you know, a state that freedom of speech can be limited in some way, some sort of control over our own product. So that was, you know, that was never going to happen. Um, but it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not just a case of this interview. Like that's our approach to all athletic football interviews. We don't, we just don't do that. So, so no, I wasn't surprised. And also like, you know, Jordan Henderson, he's what, 33 now. He's a big boy. He can talk for himself if he wants to talk for himself. This was something that he wanted to do. You know, and he said he wanted it to be an open conversation. He said he wanted to be challenged and to listen as well as uh, give answers. Um, and, that, and that's what we did. Yeah, for sure. Well, so many sort of strands we can pull from that interview, but let's kind of basically start with, you know, the the, the, co the conversation of him moving to Saudi Arabia um, from Liverpool. And from what's presented on the page, and I'm very grateful that you've actually allowed readers to make up their mind as to how they think things panned out there's a sense that he felt his time was done at Liverpool it was almost time to, to move on um, not that the club were trying to push him out in any way but he felt at his age he wants a lot of playing time he didn't see that happening in his future at, at, at Liverpool yeah and just to pick up on your first point we were sort of conduits in this case we it was his opportunity to speak and so this was our best possible attempt to be neutral and transparent um, and uh, keep the focus on him. In terms of Liverpool, look, Io, I think this goes back further to the summer of 2021, perhaps, mm. when there was a contract situation involving Jordan Henderson and Liverpool. Um, it seemed there was significant resistance from the hierarchy to giving him a new deal. And there was quite a lot of publicity around it. That deal was given. Jurgen Klopp was supportive of it. But maybe that was laying the foundations and sowing the seeds of what might follow. Henderson made a very high profile case for his fitness this summer. It was all over Instagram. He looked in excellent shape. And he says that that was to prepare himself for a return to Liverpool and the Premier League. Uh, he's the captain of the club and I think he was going to give it one big last shot. But... During the course of conversations uh, with Jurgen Klopp and others, I presume, it uh, became clear that things were going to be changing and it's likely that his game time would diminish. That left him with a decision to make. Also, with many of these players, and I'm not using this as a specific reference to Henderson, playing contracts are largely performance incentivized. Um, and so it's 
conceivable that at his age and stage of his career that um, his salary would have come down quite a bit uh, over the course of time. Then you start to look at whether there's resistance to the potential of you leaving to Liverpool or any other club just want you to make up the numbers or you know play when need, needed and, and, and be a great influence in the dressing room. And Henderson suggests that there was no resistance, no massive desire to keep him. They didn't close the door. And what he said in the interview was that there weren't other opportunities arising. There weren't others knocking on the door. I've heard many people today, before we record this on radio and television, say, why didn't he go to the MLS? Why didn't he go to this league and try and grow them? Uh, why didn't he stay within Europe and try and prove his worth? Well, <laughs> if we're to go on what he's saying, Etifak was the proposition and Liverpool didn't show much desire to keep him. And in fact, it seemed like they might be open to trading him, which might benefit them in terms of squad size and revenues. And so I think this is maybe an organic end to his 12-year Liverpool career. We've all got careers, right? Let's break it down away from the football. There's a time in which you're looking to make a move. He's 33. He sees an interesting proposition. And, you know, on a financial level, that proposition also makes a lot of sense for him and his family moving forward, Adam. Yeah, look, I think most people who were looking at this from the outside saw it like that, right? Like, you know, I've had a great career in England. I've won lots at Liverpool. I've been there 12 years. Mm. Um, I've been always the vice captain of England as well as captain mm. of Liverpool. You know, and now I'm getting towards the end of my career and maybe it's time to take, you know, a, a nice payday, as many players do, right, at that age of, of their career. And obviously we asked him about that and he came back and he was very insistent that he wasn't motivated by money. Um, he was very insistent, you know, we put to him that, you know, there'd been a very significant uh, reporting around him earning potentially four times his Liverpool salary in Saudi Arabia. He said that wasn't true. You know, he talked about being very passionate about the project in Saudi Arabia, growing the league and all of that kind of thing. And he, you know, he said he'd, the only point at which he spoke to Steven Gerrard, the Al Etifak manager, was kind of about the football, not about the money side of things. And look, like me and David on on this call, when when you've when you've done an interview like this, I think it's always a, I don't necessarily think it's appropriate for us to sort of opine on you know whether we personally believe you know what someone said, but I think clearly I think there will be a level of skepticism around things that he said that's clearly being reflected in the comments section and social media and things like that. But Jordan's allowed to defend himself and he's allowed to give his version of events and that's and that's what he says. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's been a fair bit of criticism about the Saudi Pro League, you know, taking players or, or whatnot. From a business perspective, if you've got a player 30 plus and they're willing to, a, a club is willing to take them off your hands for a decent enough fee, surely that makes sense. Oh, well, I, th I think as I think as well. Sorry, David. One of the things that probably meant there weren't that many other options for Henderson apart from Liverpool or Saudi. Aleti Fat were prepared to pay a pretty significant transfer fee to Liverpool, and he's a thirty-three-year-old midfielder. And usually, there isn't a big market of people who would both match the wages that Jordan Henderson would have commanded, even if it's not four times. You know, he still conceded. You know, this was pretty good financials and very significant for you know for him and his family so you would need if liverpool were going to sell because remember at that point in the summer they still hadn't recruited all of the midfielders that that they went on to recruit 
clearly there was a need for it to be a transfer fee and a wage package that was attractive to both parties. So when he says, because I said to him, you know, wouldn't you have gone to like, a bit like Adam Lallana and James Milner have gone to Brighton. Brighton you know, would, yeah. would you have considered a, a Brighton, a Brentford, a West Ham, you know, that kind of, I suppose, mid-table club. And I think part of him, you know, he said he was, wasn't that keen to be competing against Liverpool, having been there so long. I think part of him also felt if he wanted to stay in Europe, he should stay at the top level. He also, which is all a bit contradictory because when he starts talking about England, he sort of says, you know, I need to be playing regularly. But that, I suppose, flips back onto, well, how can you prove you're good enough for England while playing for Al-Etifak, who, who aren't one of the biggest teams in Saudi Arabia even, right? Like, I think you'd probably have that discussion anyway if he'd gone to Al Nasser or Al Hilal even. But Al-Etifak aren't one of those four clubs that were acquired by the Saudi Public Investment Fund earlier this year. So, you know, I think some of what he said, you know, is open to to challenge and contradiction and whatever, but that's what he said. Well, there's one misnomer on this um, from my information, and that's that uh, Jordan Henderson is earning £700,000 a week. I've spoken to some pretty decent contacts that say the number is lower than that quite significantly. And uh, at the time we were told equates to around four times his salary. I don't know if it gets anywhere near that reported figure. However, unless you're privy to the contract, uh, you don't know precisely, could there be bonuses and incentives that could take it higher? Um, And so I think we do need to just respect his words on it being lower. If he's not telling the truth, that's up, you know, only he knows. But I think I'd like to take that at face value. But what is clear is that there's a financial uplift, as you say. Um, and he didn't deny that. And he said the package had to be right for him. I think the crux of this is that he has taken that option and the money that comes with it and accusations that he, knowingly or not, many feel knowingly, is being used as a tool to sports wash, to um, to improve the country's image. Um, the better and bigger the league, the more eyeballs, the better view of the country, like we point out with golf and with boxing and entertainment and tennis and various other things that are heading in that direction. And so I don't think it's really a case of just saying he's gone for the money. It's that he has taken that lucrative opportunity which to many conflicts with his values although that is something he strongly denies and explains within the interview you're listening to the athletic football podcast with io akimwalere and what about mo salah um we're talking about saudi arabia we talk about um the window still um what a couple of days left still at this moment in time we talked about an audacious bid last time we spoke coming um, from Saudi Arabia. Can Liverpool afford to say no to that? Yeah, sorry for the gear change on this. I've got to shoot off to talk more about Jordan Henderson. So um, get you while I can. Get you while I can. Exactly. Listen, uh, the Saudis will try until the window closes at 10 p.m. on Thursday to sign Mo Salah. There'll be some element of conversations going on. You can guarantee that. They had the verbal bid rejected last week, as we reported and revealed on deadline day. Um, Liverpool have no intention of selling. Um, He's part of their plans. He hasn't agitated 
externally and we don't know about internally to leave. Uh, and it's looking most likely that Liverpool will stay true to their word and hold on to him for this window. And let's see what happens in January or subsequently. Jordan Henderson, he was quite neutral on that. He said he has spoken to him, but not about this specifically, um, just about how he's getting on out there. Maybe Mo Salah was tapping him up for information. So that's that was quite an interesting um, strain within the interview. And also um, a really important point that I should have mentioned at the top Henderson said if just one person from within the club hierarchy had said to him, we want you to stay, then he would have. But that didn't come. It felt like quite a sad footballing moment of the interview. Um, However, he did go on to lavish praise upon the shoulders of Fenway Sports Group, the ownership, which (laughs) the story will go out online as soon after we record and release this podcast. Jordan Henderson um, arrived roughly around the same time as they took over and has seen their genesis and journey more than anybody else uh, from a playing perspective. He's been handed contracts by them, lifted trophies under them and seen how Liverpool have been transformed. And, and he calls their impact remarkable. He says they have a clear plan, whether it be uh, not to his liking in terms of him and others going and players coming in, um, uh, living within their means, self-sustaining model. Uh, and he thinks and and articulates that they are our top owners, that Perhaps people outside who don't know how things work quite as well inside don't fully appreciate. And and I do think that is a, a significant point that we need to balance this out with when we're talking about him feeling that nobody wanted him. But also he leaves with a message uh, that he admires them. And that's despite the fact that he didn't get a, a, a testimonial. There was no goodbye. And he would love to do that because he says the absence of that has hurt him, yet still he has the utmost respect for the owners. This is Kane. Bellingham's made a really intelligent run. Bursting, trying to get away from Diallo. Here's Jordan Henderson. Now they've done the damage. I think it's probably a really good time to bring in Joe White, actually co-chair of the Three Lines Pride and LGBT plus supporters group, which follows England home and, and away. Um, Joe, so good to have you join us on, on this one. Um, notably, many of, of the people within the group are talking about not supporting Jordan Henderson when he comes and plays for England, for instance. You saw that transfer. What were your thoughts? I think it's it's very much the the disappointment. It as David was saying, it doesn't feel like it lines up with what he's said that his values are. This is a country that it doesn't take much research to realise that this is a country that criminalises our existence, that penalises who we are. It is not, you know, I don't believe I'm LGBT, I am LGBT. This is something that we've seen the issues and I think actually a really important part that comes out in the interview is the naivety Henderson has. And that comes out when he's talking about Qatar. It's like, of course, in Qatar, you're going to see as a professional footballer and who's there to play in the tournament, you're going to see the best side of a country because they want it to look great for you. Those on the ground have a very different feeling we saw rainbow flags being confiscated, people being strip searched, people being detained for having anything with a rainbow on or anything related to LGBT issues. So 
there, there definitely is a naivety there that doesn't match up. And it's one thing to say all of these things and to say that you're an ally, to say that you are going above and beyond for the LGBT plus community. But actually, when your actions aren't matching up to your words, that's where there's an issue. And I think that's where the disappointment has come. I think more than anything, yes, he's getting far more scrutiny than other players who are moving to Saudi. But that's because he's put his own position out there far more than any other players. And so, you know, it's not holding him to a higher standard. It's asking and seeing where his actual views and values are and how much he holds himself to them. I think the point that Joe picks up on in terms of what he described as naivety, I thought that was a really interesting moment in the interview, actually, where, you know, we were talking around uh, Qatar and he explained that, just to give people listening some context, if they've, if they've not yet read it, he was talking about before the Qatar World Cup, the English Football Association invited Amnesty International to provide a kind of presentation about what had been going on in Qatar, with whether, whether it was relation to workers' rights, um, worker welfare, uh, potentially also LGBT-related matters, I'm not sure. And, uh, and Jordan said, you know, he found that incredibly shocking um, to the extent that he was then involved in a press conference about 45 minutes later, like, which had been pre-scheduled, and he was asked about Qatar, and he said, you know, something to the effect of, yeah, it really doesn't look good, you know, based on what we've seen. And he then said, but then, you know, when we went out there, we were introduced to some of the workers and it, se- and it seemed different. And what happened actually during the World Cup was the, su- the uh, this was quite a big deal at the time because I remember, I remember being out there and the English F- uh, Football Association, along with the Qatar Supreme Committee, organised for some workers to meet the English national team. I think they did like almost a bit of a training session on the pitch together. And clearly in that setting, like... Jordan Henderson would have met these people and thought like, well, that's not what I've seen. And, you know, I went back to him and was like, but surely you appreciate that what is going to be presented to you in that moment is perhaps a choreographed, I think manicured was the word that I used, version of the reality. Like maybe maybe that is the case, right? But it struck me, like Joe used the word naive and I think, yeah, green is probably a word I, I would... I would use in, in that instance. And it, it brought home to me, actually, in that moment, when you think as well, Jordan Henderson is one of the more, you would say, engaged, or has appeared to be one of the more engaged members of you know the England national team. It brought home to me, actually, that, one, it made me wonder whether the FA have some answers, some questions to answer, actually, about what they were presenting to the players in that moment, if that's what the players took away from it. I'd also wonder, was it just actually quite a good insight into perhaps how cocooned life can be for professional footballers and, and sheltered. And, you know, you're in that bubble and you're you're kind of seeing what your clubs and your national teams want you to see at certain points. And yeah, of course, like we can sit here and say, well, they should go and research themselves. They should go and find this out, go and find that out. But I don't know. I found that a revealing insight and whether people interpret that positively or negatively is is up to them. Yeah, there's this sort of line that keeps sort of permeating about Saudi culture needing to, to be respected um, as though, you know, being a, a gay person is a cultural choice. Um, Joe, from your perspective, is, is it disappointing to hear that come out of his mouth? It's only disappointing because he's previously been very well spoken on these issues and come across, as Adam was saying, very engaged 
and actually interested in knowing the right things to say, what things are problematic to say that might not be well known if you're outside of the community to be problematic. And this is one of those those things that, you know, our existence isn't a belief. It isn't a, a culture. There is LGBT culture around. Absolutely wonderful stuff. But our existence isn't a culture. And also our existence doesn't necessarily have to conflict with faith. There are, as Adam mentioned in the interview, there are LGBT Muslims, there are LGBT people who live in Saudi Arabia. And quite often you see the framing from people who want to penalise or criminalise or, you know, attack LGBT identities. You see that trade-off of, well, it's just, you know, it's contrary to my religion, to my beliefs. And there has to be a line. If you're saying you support human rights, I support the freedom of religion, the freedom for people to have their own beliefs, but I do not support people using those beliefs, using that culture to penalise, criminalise, to cause harm to people for their identity. And I think that's a really difficult thing. Quite often we get in our, our mentions from both sides, you know, why are you calling out Islamophobia because these people would happily stone you to death? And it's like, but if we see something that is an injustice, we will call it out. We have a really great relationship with the three hijabis at England who do amazing work and are really supportive of us as well. And I think there needs to be more understanding of the nuances and not just putting everything into, well, LGBT is not something that can go with people of faith, like there are LGBT people of faith, the intersectionality is something that needs to be more widely discussed and understood. Mm. I wonder if we have an in, any insight into the code of conducts that players who do go to the Saudi League have to adhere to. One of the things that you know, I pretty directly asked Jordan Henderson was almost said to him as a yes or no question, you know, does your contract contain any clauses that means that you have, you know, payment if you do social media posts promoting the kingdom? Because I think we saw the other day uh, after an Al-Etifat game, there was a, a post that he did which seemed sort of, uh, sort of just praising Saudi Arabia as a country, which may be his, you know, genuine, exp- his genuine experience. But it's, it was one of those where I looked and, and, and was wondering, like, is he being paid to post that? And he completely denied that. So, you know, we have to take that again at face value. We do know that other players who have gone there do have some of these clauses in their contracts. We know that some of the tourism ambassadors have sort of payments for X number of social media posts per year promoting Saudi Arabia. So it wouldn't be hugely unusual. It was very much like a reasonable question to ask. I mean, one of the one of the big controversies after actually he made the move to Al-Etifak was his announcement video. And in this announcement video, they did like a montage of Jordan Henderson photos from his time at Liverpool or England or whatever. Um, And one of the photos, he was wearing an armband that looks a lot like the kind of rainbow laces armband for Liverpool. And in this video, it was kind of grayscaled, which sort of gathered so much traction on social media that on Twitter slash X, there was a community note placed against the, the announcement video basically saying 
you know, suggesting that it had been greyed out, censored in, in, in some way. You know, Jordan said that he didn't know about that until it was out. But those are the kind of things which are, if, jo- if Jordan's going there and saying that he feels he can make some sort of change, even if, you know, he's not talking about changing laws, he's pretty clear on that, not a politician, okay. But is that the kind of thing where actually he could turn around to his employers and say, no, actually, that's what I wore and that's who I am. And you've potentially grayscaled that. So that I felt that was an interesting moment just in terms of like the social media dynamics of it. Yeah, I had a question for Joe and Adam, but Adam and I talk more often than, than <laughs> Joe. And so it's a privilege to share the platform with you. Um, what sort of actions would make members of the LGBTQ plus community feel better about this, if any? Because the words um, today are ringing a little bit hollow to many people. He, he didn't rule out wearing the rainbow armband, although he did say if that is disrespectful to their religion, then I won't be doing that. If he's talking about trying to make change, the, the mere fact of me with my beliefs being there and they know about my beliefs, that is better in his eyes than not being there and, as he calls it, burying his head in the sand. You could say, actually, a man of his beliefs turning down a move there would have been more powerful. But he clearly believes he could help bring about some incremental uh, progress or uh, more tolerant and open society, whether we see that or not. But do you feel, Joe, we have to see something now? Should he wear something or should he say something in that country? Or is that unrealistic and and too much to ask? I think there's two points to this one is what would the impact be on local LGBT people? We had this conversation around Qatar. Is doing something going to cause more damage to people? Is it going to cause a backlash that ultimately harms the people you want to help the most? And I think in somewhere like the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, you run a real risk of there being a harsh backlash and that damaging those local LGBT people for, frankly, a very Western, you know, pat on the back of we've done something. And I think there needs to be, if he was to consider doing something like wearing the Rainbow Iron Band, he would need to engage with local experts on what would the response likely be, what would the impact actually be to those who it matters most to. I think the other thing is it's kind of too late from from like an England LGBT fan group perspective from we've seen cop-outs on on Twitter slash X post quite a lot about their disappointment um, and their reaction to the interview today as well. I think it is too late just by him going there. As you said, it would have been a far stronger thing for him to have turned down the move and said it doesn't align with my values. I can't you know, play or live in a country that criminalises LGBT identities. But by going there, he's already undermined his position on that in the eyes of mm, the vast majority of the community that we talk to. And I think anything now would just feel like him trying to regain some credibility on these issues and not be because it feels like he actually cares. Um, And and look, I think a lot of people will read that and come from the point of 
maybe it'd have been easier if he hadn't said anything. We could process and deal with that in our own ways. Maybe it would have been far easier for, you know, us to hear that he went for the money. That would have been, you know, not a a great thing to hear, but it would have been far easier to process and deal with. It's like, sure, you went for the money, great. I think the nuance of what came out in the interview creates the difficulties on how people within the community can process that he is still saying that he has these values and will keep supporting them with where he is living and playing. Just very quickly before we move it on, is his previous work eroded? Uh, I saw somebody reporting prior to this interview that that would focus too much on the subject, the individual, rather than um, the actual issue at stake. Um, Do you still see him as an ally and appreciate his work or is it all broken? I think we can appreciate the steps he took in the past and how that has had an impact on the landscape and where we're at now while still holding him to account and being disappointed and moving forwards, not holding him and kind of putting him on a pedestal for, he says, going above and beyond for the community. He wore some rainbow laces. He wore an armband. Our expectations of what going above and beyond were very minimal, like having a conversation with us, talking to us like normal people. Like If that is our expectation of going above and beyond, and that is the expectation of footballers of going above and beyond, I think we need to reframe and revalue on how we perceive ourselves within the game. I've hated the term allyship for years because it is very easy to say you're an ally and not actually do anything. And so one of the calls that we put out was for people to become champions of equality because that just by changing the dynamics of being allied to champion it feels like you have to do something to earn that title it's not something you can just self-label yourself we've seen in recent months aaron ramsdale's wonderful piece talking about his brother and kind of that support of his brother being you know a gay football fan and just wanting him to be able to celebrate on the pitch if you know arsenal win a title if england win a tournament and Ramsdale's in the squad, like wanting to just have that security. And I think knowing someone has, you know, teeth in the game, so to speak, really does help it feel more genuine. And it felt like Jordan chucked in, oh, I've got friends, family who are LGBT. It felt like that was, you know, just an aside to try and do similar to what Ramsdale has done. I suppose just... To give some balance, I suppose, which I think is important. Um, you know, we obviously we were in the room and, and it's quite an interesting dynamic. Like, you know, when you're in the room, and I totally understand this, Greg, because people are reading it written down and there is a, there can be a brutality to something written down compared to hearing or seeing a conversation. And there were moments in the conversation where there were, I think David would agree, like sort of significant like pauses where, you could tell Jordan was a bit like, I'm not sure where to go from here a little, a, a little bit, but mostly that wasn't the mostly that wasn't the case. I would say like, I mean, I think it was actually when David towards the end put the point around England fans saying they might turn their backs on Jordan because of um, they feel as though he's t- he's turned their backs on on them. 
I felt at that point he was genuine, that it wasn't his intention to cause hurt. Early in the interview, he said things like, I'm sorry if they feel that way, which I know people don't like as a framing because it makes you, it can make you feel like you're going a bit mad to be annoyed with someone. But later in, in response to, to that specific point about England fans, he did say, you know, I'm sorry, I've made them feel that way. And, you know, he did say, I understand the anger and the frustration and I'm not sat here asking why people are criticising me. So definitely not here to sort of defend Jordan Henderson or anything like that. But I do mm-hmm. think it's important just to reflect, you know, those aspects of what he said, because I'm also conscious that, like, some people won't have read the full transcript. And, mm-hmm. you know, you see quotes, you see the odd quote that's taken on Twitter and things like that. Equally, like, there will be plenty of people who read the entire transcripts and still come away thinking that. Right? But I, I just thought it was important to put that in as well. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. I've spoken with Jordan this summer. The question he wanted to know was, if I move here, are you going to automatically rule me out? Well, we'd be stupid to do that. Why, why would we rule any player out just based on where they're playing? We've got to see how they're playing and at what level they're playing. Yeah, I'm just thinking, as we're all talking about the England setup as well, and the FA in particular, um, what kind of situation does this then leave the FA and the England organisation in? You know, if, if you're having a... a um, a moment where you are wearing a rainbow armband to to support LGBTQ plus rights. Can Jordan Henderson realistically do that based on playing in Saudi Arabia? Does it put them in a bit of a, excuse the blacking out sort of terminology, but a grey area w- w- with it all, Joe? I think the biggest issue for the FA is this is a lot of unnecessary <laughs> difficulty for them. Like their focus should be on picking the best team and making sure England have the best chance of winning, uh, preparing for the Euros properly, and, you know, can be the best team that there is. The bigger difficulty in selecting Henderson is, is he at that level? And how does he prove that when he's playing in an emerging league? Is the quality of that league strong enough for him to then be playing at an international level with England against you know, the likes of Italy. That is more of a question for the FA. The bigger question on LGBT issues with the FA is their response on Qatar was weak. Mm-hmm. Their standard go-to has been to light up Wembley 
Arch, and we we had a, a wonderful meeting after the the World Cup, where we had very strong uh, comments and feedback that we gave to the FA, and actually the team, uh, kind of the travel club side, have been superb in facilitating and making sure that we feel welcome at Wembley. Rich Weeks has done a great job of you know actually pushing and driving. Uh, LGBT visibility and safety home and away and that's something that took a long time to do but there's that disconnect on what we can sometimes see on the pitch and then you know what the FA do and say on LGBT issues around Pride Month around rainbow laces and it just needs to be more of a you know pride every day not pride for one special event pride for you know one month it's about how do we make sure that there is tangible and cohesive work being done to make sure that on the ground inclusion is you know embedded throughout the practices is he will he be at that level um to play for england to represent his country playing against some of the greatest teams across the world whilst he's playing in fundamentally what is a, a startup league david let's see he's clearly believing in himself to retain the level of fitness and technical ability to be an option to Gareth Southgate. Let's be clear, it would have been easier for England, Gareth Southgate and the FA not to have this uh, subject on uh, their doorstep. It was quite interesting that there was a desire for us to get this out um, as soon as possible in the international break, because I think in England's mind, um, they knew Jordan was doing this interview Let's see if he does further media during the week. Uh, I'm not aware of that and focus fully on on what we've got here. Gareth Southgate has spoken about this as well. He was on TalkSport uh, a few weeks ago. It will be a merit-based decision whether he contributes on the pitch. Um, I suspect he's he's fallen down the pecking order a little bit by virtue of Jude Bellingham rising, Declan Rice rising. Um, and, and let's see what other options he, he uses in there. But... He is very loyal to players who have delivered in the past. Jordan Henderson is England's vice captain. Uh, He's said to be a really strong and vocal influence in the dressing room, um, which won't be uh, an insignificant factor heading towards a major tournament that could be Gareth Southgate's last. There is an expectation in the fan base that England now finally go on to try and win something with this era. There are a lot of young players. He is very close to Jude Bellingham, who is this emerging star of world football for club and country and so perhaps he is still seen as a valuable asset now and he will think that he can do the business but let's see on the pitch because uh, he's had a little injury over in Saudi quality of the facilities and competition and pitches are not what they are in the Premier League and so uh, the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah, look, I think it's just the reality of getting old. It's getting older, I should say. I should say. I'm, not, I'm not calling 33-year-old 33 old. But, but that's like that's, that's top-level football, right? You, at, at, at the highest level, you know, there's only so long where you can compete. Jordan Henderson, is, from a football perspective, has had a sensational career to be at a club like Liverpool for 12 years to maintain those standards from a fitness technical point of view to keep being in the team to get better every time a new signing came he still sort of would come back so you know he's had 12 years wouldn't it like, I think I think that's longer than Roy Keane was at Manchester United right like 
significantly longer than Patrick Vieira was at uh, Arsenal. I'm not comparing to those to those players, but you know that's a good run. And I, you know he even said, you know, I knew that wouldn't last forever, um, but I think maybe he didn't think it would come so imminently and as quickly as it did. But these goodbyes often do. It's very rare that you get a goodbye in football where it is really, really as everyone would like it. I remember Rio Ferdinand leaving Manchester United to go to QPR and it was like all of a sudden you're just not getting a new contract, right? I think he, I think there was a story about him being told in the dressing room after a game that they wouldn't be renewing his contract. Like sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. And, you know, I'm sure that's difficult for Jordan Henderson, but ultimately, you know, he's made a decision to move to Saudi Arabia. He's given all his justifications, all of his explanations. Some people will see it as explanations. Some people will see it as excuses. Have a read, make up your mind. That's that's his that's his words. <laughs> Joe, really appreciate you joining us. And also Adam and David, really appreciate your time as well. Remember, if you're enjoying the pod, why not leave us a quick review on Apple and Spotify? Make sure you hit follow or subscribe so you never miss a single episode. You can also read more from these two, including the full Jordan Henderson interview on The Athletic. Sign up today for our special limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.